Good morning. My name's Ollie, and as Graham said, I'm the youth leader here at Hope Church, and today I'm going to be carrying on our mini-series on the Book of Romans. Following on from Sam, who spoke on Romans 6, Nick, who spoke on Romans 8, and I'll be looking at Romans 10, focusing on these two verses. How, then, can they call on the one they have believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We are disciples. You and I today are disciples of Jesus. If we believe Jesus is Lord, if we follow him, if we practice the way, we are disciples of Jesus. Now we all follow something. We all follow people on social media. Some of us follow Norwich. I was hoping for a bit more of a cheer. I know it's not great, but thank you. Some of us follow Ipswich. Well, you've all come out of hiding. If that question was asked a year, two years ago, barely anyone would have responded. A disciple is a personal follower of Christ during his life. So if we are disciples of Jesus, and Jesus says to his disciples in the last chapter of Matthew, therefore go and make all nations, go and make disciples of all nations, our duty is to go and make disciples. And Jesus says this after he has risen from the dead. So there are some of his last words to the disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. And when you watch a film, the last words of a character usually stick with you. I'm a big Marvel fan, and in Endgame, at the end of the massive fight scene when the Avengers have gone back in time to reverse the blip, and all the superheroes come back through the portals. And in my opinion, possibly the greatest scene in cinema. But Thanos has the Infinity Stones again, and he's about to snap his fingers. He says, I am inevitable. But Iron Man manages to get them and says, I am Iron Man. Snaps his fingers, saves the world. They were his last words, and probably the last good thing Marvel produced. Jesus' last commandment to his disciples is to go and make more disciples. So it's pretty important. We are disciples. Jesus tells us to make more disciples. And Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says this, How then can they call on the one they have believed in? And how can they believe in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So I think there are two clear points Paul is trying to make. One, we are sent. Two, we have to share the gospel. We are sent. Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and make more disciples. We are disciples. We're sent into the world to make more disciples. First point done, three minutes. But how do we make more disciples? We have to share the gospel. We have to share the gospel because it is good news. Paul writes in Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is of, by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. If there has ever been a time in my life where people need to know they're righteous by God, it's now. I had a conversation with a pupil in Ashes, and the pupil was telling me how he feels he needs to get a Saturday job to help his family with the household income. He's 14 years old. 
So many people need the gospel good news. But good news is only good news if it's given to the right person at the right time. Now, I'm a Norwich fan, and if I can't make a game and someone shares with me that Norwich have just scored, that's great news for me. If someone shares that with an Ipswich fan that Norwich have just scored, it's not good news for them because it was given to the wrong person at the wrong time. Good news is only good news if it's given to the right person at the right time. Now, that might make you have an urgency to share the gospel. You might think, I need to go and share the gospel to everyone because it's good news. But for me, it's I need to get better at recognizing the right time and the right person to share the gospel with. I also believe that there's any time, any time is the right time to share the gospel. There's not a situation where you can't share the gospel. But what I want to get better at is recognizing the time where what I share will land well and taking that opportunity. We have to share the gospel. When I first read uh, the two verses, verse 14 and 15, my first take was that we have to preach the gospel. And yes, that's true. For people to hear the gospel, someone needs to speak words. Any time in the book of Acts the gospel is shared, it's through a human instrument. In the book of Acts, there's stories of angels coming down, Pentecost. But any time someone hears the gospel, another human has shared with them. In Acts 10, there's a story of a Gentile called Cornelius. And I think that's a fantastic name, Cornelius. I think I'd have liked to be called Cornelius, but I was named after a musical. <laughs> so it was my brother Joseph. And I think if we'd have had a sister, my mum would have called her Annie. But the Gentile, Cornelius, who one day had an angel appear to him. Cornelius was a centurion in the Italian regiment which means he would have been in command of about 100 men. He is also described as coming from a family who were devout and God-fearing, which means he embodied Christian principles, being generous to the poor, accepted Jewish ethical standards, attended regular synagogue services, but he was a Gentile, so he was an outsider excluded from God's covenant with the Jewish people. So in Acts 10, verse 4, we read, Cornelius stared at him, him being the angel that appeared to Cornelius, stared at him in fear, what is it, Lord, he asked. The angels answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a mem- I messed up this word all the time. memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. And Peter comes to Cornelius' house and Cornelius shares his vision. Peter prays and Peter gets a vision. And then Peter preaches the gospel to him. Now, it would have been much easier and saved Peter days of traveling if the angel would have just shared the gospel. The angel comes down and says, God hears your prayers, sees your generosity, definitely can share the gospel, but God chooses to use Peter as his instrument. We are God's instrument to share the gospel. And it is a task. It is challenging. But Jesus promises us the ultimate tool to help with us sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit. I did a youth session around the Great Commission a while ago, and I got the youth to build card towers, and they struggled, they maybe got one layer, and then I showed them this, this one that I'd made. It's pretty impressive. (laughs) But I admitted to them that I cheated. I used blue tack and stuck the cards together. (laughs) It made making the card tower very easy. And yes, I am comparing blue tack to the Holy Spirit. I had the tool of blue tack. Jesus promises us the tool of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that performs miracles, 
that heals, that makes the blind see, the deaf hear, that casts out demons. When we believe in the good news, we have that same power in us. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is with us when we share the gospel. And for me, that makes the task of sharing the gospel with words seem possible. And I know that even with the promise of the Holy Spirit, evangelism is still daunting and terrifying. When I chat with my mates, we always joke and wind each other up about what jobs we do. People my age that come out of uni don't, that don't really know what they want to do for the rest of their lives get filler jobs, as I like to call them. And we wind each other up, joke and, and we joke about, and one of my mates works on a building site and he operates diggers. I don't know his actual title, but I wind him up and say, oh, have you dug any holes today? <laughs> and I imagine his job is actually very skillful, operating heavy machinery, avoiding water pipes, but easy to wind up just to say that he digs holes for a living. And then he bites back at me and says, ah, oh, so have you made any PowerPoints for church today? <laughs> so I smugly reply, I don't make them. I just convert them and put them into uh, the visual desk. But that's a perfect opportunity for me to share the gospel with my non-Christian friends. And I feel challenged to do that. And I'll try, and maybe I'll fumble my words. Or I don't explain what I mean well. And then five minutes later it will come to me, and I think, oh, why did I not say that then? I know the gospel, I live the gospel, but when I have an opportunity to share the gospel, I don't always take it because sometimes I struggle with being instinctive. And sometimes when I feel I've missed an opportunity to share the gospel, it will knock me. And maybe then I try to avoid God conversations because I know that I struggle with thinking on my feet. But as we reminded last week by Nick, Romans 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I might feel knocked by missing an opportunity to share the gospel, but I never let it get me down because of that truth. There is no condemnation. And evangelism is hard. I've heard evangelism described as like going to the dentist. We know we need to go, and when we go, we have to open our mouths, and it will probably be uncomfortable. But we can share the gospel by living it. Yes, we have to share the gospel with words, but we can share the gospel wherever we are just by living his story. Just as a child imitates their parents, or like when you spend loads of time with a friend, you pick up their habits. When we spend loads of time in the gospel, reading and practicing how Jesus lived, people will see Jesus and the gospel in us. Myself, Sam and mum recently went to a Pioneer Midlands Learning Hub Day, and I was led by someone from the organisation called LICC. And it was all focused about how do we develop discipleship in church and how can the church best build us up to send you out into the world, into workspaces where God has placed you. And it was really encouraging and built me up because even if sometimes I mess up sharing the gospel, I know that just by living his story, I am sharing the gospel. And one of the tools for sharing the gospel by living it is the six M's model from the book Faithfulness on the Front Line by Mark Green. So the first M, modeling godly character. Thank you. <laughs> Are we able to let the life of Christ flow in and through us? Do we live out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Make good work. Can we show God's love in our work? Now, biblically, Work isn't something we just get paid to do. 
Work is anything we do that isn't just for fun or recreation. So does God care about our work in the day-to-day tasks we do? Does God care about me when I load the worship songs onto the visuals or or Fry's bank payments? Work is significant to God. If we take God's example when it comes to work, in creation, God brought order like an admin officer would bring order to documents. God generated provision like any man or woman who works to provide for themselves and others. God brought joy like game developers bringing football manager to console, which brought me joy. God created beauty like a flower arranger. And most importantly, God showed his love in creation. Of course he did. God's all about love. God created Adam on day six. If he'd have created him on day one, he would have dumped him into a world filled with darkness and left him with nowhere to stand. If we can imitate God's way of working, we can make good work. Ministering grace and love. Grace and love is so powerful. If you've ever experienced God's grace and love, you'll know it's so beautiful. And I know that God wants to share his grace and love with everyone. So how selfish of me for not sharing it. Mold culture. If you've traveled the world, you've experienced loads of different cultures and you see how different cultures live differently. We can mold the cultures in our settings. You might work for a profit-driven company. Maybe you organize a raffle or a fundraising event for a charity. It's Kenya of Love, for example. I'm not saying that you'll change your company's values by next week or by one event, but maybe you impact your team or colleagues in the way that we affirm and honor others around us. Mouthpiece for truth and justice. Standing up for what you believe in. This idea, Martin Luther King, Emily Pankhurst comes to mind. And while these are quite radical examples, but for us it may look like sticking up for your neighbour in a dispute with the local council or blowing the whistle on an incompetent work colleague. Messenger of the gospel. We have to share the gospel. And when we live this model, conversations are going to come up that are opportunities to share the gospel. Last Easter, Sam and I helped at a prayer space in Ashes. And we were there just for two sessions. And two different classes came into the prayer space and we were there just to answer questions, man the room basically. And one girl asked me, so why are you here? And I said, I'm a youth leader at Hope Church and part of the work I do is to work for schools. Then she said, so you don't get paid to be here. And it was just this opportunity for me to share why I do what I do so I said, I, I get paid by the church, but I'm here in your school today because I want to share God's love for young people. And she said, oh, okay, and then went off like any other year nine would. And that was the conversation. Now, I would have loved to say that that conversation went on for the whole session. And we prayed, and now she believes in God. But I don't know where she is in her journey. Maybe three years from now, or 30 years from now, someone else will come along and share the gospel and finish the story. I know that my conversation with her will be part of her story. Whether she remembers it now or in 30 years, it is part of her story. So I think it's helpful to view sharing the gospel like a jigsaw and not judo. This was shared at the LICC training day, and it was such a helpful visual. Rather than try to wrestle someone down to the ground and submit them like in judo, you know, do you believe in Jesus? View it as just slotting one piece into their journey. I believe I work for a church because I know God's love. And I didn't have to say anything awkward to start that conversation. Just by me being there, 
by me living his story, that conversation happened. How, then, can they call on the one they have believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear about someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So the task, we are, shared, we are sent to share the gospel. According to the LICC, about 6% of the UK gather and worship together. Today, we have gathered and worshipped together, so we are part of that 6%. If we look at that 6% gathered together, it doesn't look like we can reach that many. If we look at that 6% when we are scattered, I think reaching 100% is possible. And this is how we look like when we're in the world scattered. Whatever we do on a Monday to Saturday, when we're in our workplaces, when we're not in church or huddles or small groups, this is what we look like. I wonder how many Corneliuses there are around the scattered people. People that live biblical principles that just need one of God's vessels, one of us, to bring the gospel. The opportunities for the scattered 6% here to share the gospel excites me because it seems possible. The parent picking up their child at the school gates will have more natural opportunities to share the gospel than the church leader. Now that's not to condemn Sam or Graham, but myself, Sam, Graham and mum, we all work in a gathered setting. Our aim is to make gathered events and make them good so we can best build us up for when we are sent into the world scattered with Christ flowing through your body, you freshly encouraged by God's stories. You experience God so you can share the gospel. Both equally important. Because if we are scattered and we don't gather and get built up, there is no support and we'll fall away. So my aim for the youth group is that when we meet, it's a space for the young people to be a Christian. I know that when I was in high school, openly being a Christian was so difficult. So when I went to youth, it was just this freedom to be a Christian. And that was so important. So as I end today, and if the band can make their way back up, I want to end with an encouragement and challenge for us. When we're in the gathered settings, make the most of them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Let God mold you for the world. Recognize God's grace and love for you. The same way that you would make the most of being in a theme park and trying to ride all of the roller coasters in that day. I know that, le- I know that the leadership team feel- felt that God's say to them that this church is a well. And the culture that we want to create is that when we meet, we draw from the well and we receive from the living water to be filled as we're sent out into the world. Make the most of being in the gathered setting and feel the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. And if this is the only gathered setting for the week, Find more opportunities to gather. Home groups, huddles, going for a walk with another Christian. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And when we are gathered together, recognize you have beautiful feet and you are the beautiful messenger of God's word.